On this week's Horror Pod class, we invited two friends of the podcast. The first is J.R. Hamatashin, one of our favorite horror writers of 2018. The other is Carson Winter, who writes about punk rock on the dying scene and also happens to write about horror on Signal Horizon. We discussed the 2015 movie Green Room and all things punk rock, bad reviews, Nazis, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Things take a more freeform structure this week, and we do have spoilers for Green Room, so if you haven't seen it yet, make sure you check it out on Netflix. Oh, shit. Hey, Mike, save me. I own uh, both Signal Horizon and the Horror Podcast with my buddy Mike over here. You're awfully quiet. Oh, yeah, not much, buddy. I was just thinking about how, you know, there's the, there's good people on both sides, right? Um, no? Okay. So, you know, I mean, I've been getting in a lot of Facebook arguments lately. Did you know that Zizak writes for RT now? I, I think I'd read that. What a fucking... It's crazy world we live in. That's yeah. fucking sad. Anyways, yeah. on a brighter note, uh, we have... Nothing productive our... was going to come from it when you began, the, you prefaced the sentence with, I've been getting into a lot of Facebook arguments. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Nothing no. of merit was going to come from that last clause. No, you got you got it. Um, but hey, on a brighter side, uh, we have one of our absolute favorite independent self-published authors on the show today, J.R. Hamatashin. You've already heard him making fun of us. Now, J.R. picked our movie... And our topic for today, Green Room and Punk Rock. Um, I once had a Misfits t-shirt. I don't have it anymore, but I had one. Um, And Tyler is a big fan of Alkaline Trio. Um, So we know nothing about punk rock. Anyways. Nothing. nothing. I should say, I didn't really pick punk rock, in fairness. You said, what movies do you like? And I was like, Green Room's a pretty good movie. Well. I'm blowing up the fucking behind. Yeah, well, man. (laughs) Damn. All right. I mean. You want you want to talk about something else about Green Room? No, no, I do like Patrick no, Stewart. I, we good. can talk about Patrick Stewart. I'll ride with that. Oh yeah, I love Patrick Stewart. He's he's dreamy. Um, so we got we got one of our we phoned a friend. We got one of our buddies, Carson Winter. He uh, writes for Dying Scene, one of the internet's preeminent venues for all things punk. And when he's not writing for them, he writes for us at Signal Horizon about horror. So we could get someone from Punk News on here. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> So, so welcome. All right, guys, I gotta go. <laughs> Peace. Did I mention my before we get into it? My pretentious other options I was thinking of before. You know, an email me like, "What movies do you like?" And I was like, "Oh, Green Room's a pretty good movie." Oh, uh, you gotta but spit it. Go for it. My, my for it, yeah. pretentious shit. Actually, my, most of my favorite movies are actually not horror movies. Some of my favorite movies are American Movie. You ever see American yeah, Movie? Yeah, that's good. Trees Lounge. You ever oh. see Trees Lounge? Steve Buscemi. Nope, Two Lovers with Joaquin Phoenix. And I was thinking my favorite scenes in movies that really affected me are the ending of Enemy. You ever see Enemy? Enemy. No. The murder by bear scene in Outback. Yes, I have seen yes. that. That's okay. brutal. That's a good scene. And then the ending of the Russian war film Come and See. You ever see that? No. Mm. I actually went. I went through a war, a, a Russian war uh, phase. So how yes, the I've fuck you it. go through a Russian war phase and not see Come and See, I've which I described it. as a Russian war movie? For God's yes, sake. I've seen it. I've so seen you're it. making uh, my punk face sound super basic here. <laughs> and also, like, Demon Knight is a good movie too. 
Yeah, Demon Knight's good. Billy Zane's is finest, but... All right, man, before we get to Green Room, usually we talk about what we're reading and what we're watching and what we're drinking. So, uh, Carson, JR, somebody pipe up. What you reading, what you watching? I'm drinking uh, uh, rum and Coke. What are you guys drinking? Um, I'm drinking uh, Ninkasi's Heart and Science IPA right now. It's a beer. Nice. Uh, I know, right? This is pretty exciting. Uh what I'm reading, I'm reading Noctuary by Thomas Ligotti right now. My girlfriend was kind enough to get me the first edition for Christmas, so uh, now I can look very uh, conspicuous and pretentious at Starbucks now. I feel like um, saying read, you're reading Noctuary, Noctuary, but then saying your girlfriend gave it to you kind of removes some of the depressive mystique that someone must have while they're reading Thomas Ligotti. Well... JR, like, I'm using my, my real mom name and my account. dad went for my birthday and got me a signed copy of Noctua, and I'm so happy about it. Some of us have relationships in our lives, you know. Uh, we give and take, and we get Ligotti-based gifts. Yeah, and part of the thing is, if you have relationships, you're not allowed to read Thomas Ligotti. Is that a rule? Ask him. Oh, you can't because he has no relationship. <laughs> That's not that's not true. That's not true. Jr. I think you ought to go down there, and knock on his door. I heard he is like very ill, actually. No shit. But, well, then then maybe don't. But um, I, I I I've always heard he's very he's very open, very uh, very very warm person to yeah. other other people other individuals. You know. Yeah. I um. I heard he's so, a funny dude. Yeah, I, I mean, if you ever read um. My work is not yet done. It's pretty witty. Oh, I love that book. Yeah. Um, you're asking about what everyone's drinking, right? Sure. Yeah, what you drinking, I'm, man? Uh, I'm waiting for when you guys have to go take a shit so I can get up and get myself a beer out of the refrigerator. Go for it right now. Yeah, go get it. Entertain yourself for one that. minute. <laughs> and remember, if you talk a lot of shit about me, I'm going to hear it eventually. <laughs> we'll just cut it out. <laughs> we'll just cut it out, yeah. I am drinking a Mikkelair, which is a Danish beer, and I have a punk rock story about it. And that I went to a museum thing, they like a museum party, and they were giving out beers, and I was like. If I could just get the beer, why don't you just not open it? And I'll stuff it in my jacket and fucking run out <laughs> punk rock style. So I got four free beers. <laughs> that oh, is man. very punk rock. Yeah, you, you you turned a museum party into punk rock. Congratulations. Yeah. You needed to spray paint some, like, paintings and shit, though, on your way out. It was the Museum of the Moving Image, which is the least <laughs> punk rock. <laughs> Yeah. Where are you guys located? Sorry, where are you guys located? Actually, really quick. Uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Oh, cool. Boulevard. Yeah, yes, Boulevard. Yeah, yeah sweet. Whatever. In Ecuador, na- na- name name a beer from Ecuador. Are you really? Uh, El Quinte de Verde. <laughs> no, sir. Maybe. <laughs> he said no. <laughs> and I'm in Vancouver, Washington. Cool, cool. So I'm in New York. Cool. 
Good. The punkest of all our four locations, gotta uh, say. Yeah, probably. Um, pretty punk. Did you have any, uh, Carson, did you have any run-ins with Nazis while you were in the punk scene? No, zero. Dude, I'm trying to fucking throw you softballs here. Yeah, and <laughs> that was too soft, dude. Like, <laughs> zero. <laughs> zero Nazi interactions. Everything I've heard is hearsay. Like, I don't see dudes in, like, boots and red laces coming to start shit at shows. Like, there's aggressive people, but I don't have any, like... They're not waving, like, Nazi flags or Zeke Heiling or anything. It's... What about this movie that I really... So I like... I'd say on the last three quarter... The last quarter of the movie, it maybe loses its way a little bit. Can't really, Mm -hmm. obviously, sustain the tension and pace it's built up it's only i think the movie's only 95 minutes so it's pretty in and out you know um what i really like about the first three quarters of it is it, it does a it's like a bottle episode you know mm-hmm. of the television show okay. where it gets them in this room you understand the parameters you understand the danger they're stuck in this situation and they are needing a way to get out of it um these types of movies where it's like what would you do in this situation what would you do here what would you, it's like it's it's one of those kind of scenarios that really captivate me because you always think about what you would do. And while everyone, I feel like you read some commentary and people are like, duh, they're so stupid. Blah, blah, blah. I feel like for the most part, they're actually, I mean, I guess the only real stupid decision would be to give them the gun. That's pretty yeah. stupid decision. Yeah, yeah. But the other thing about, like, I mean, the whole thing about, you know, finding the lair underneath and digging through it and all that other shit, I mean, I think it's pretty impressive. I always feel like if I was in a horror movie, I would just die because I don't have that much of a connection to life. Like, I have to, I mean, even my normal middle-class happy life, I have to give myself reasons to sustain myself, let alone I'm being hunted by fucking Nazis. I just feel like this is the end for me, you know? So if you were in the green room, you'd probably just, like, what, sit? No, there is something horrifying about Mm. being stabbed to death, you know? Yeah. But if I was sure. being chased by like a giant monster that just like ate you instantaneously, I'd be like, yeah, all right. That's there are nice. worse ways to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Painless so. death. Huh. Well, uh, I what... think for the most part, like they made decent, reasonable decisions in the movie. Like they make sense within the characters. I, I think people are like too hard on horror movie characters in general when it comes to only like the only criticism you can lob at a movie is, like, what decisions characters would make in, like, horrifying situations that you would never be in. It's like, come on, you got... There's there's going to be some weird stuff you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well... Just the gun decision is, like, objective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyone yeah. would ever do that. Yeah. Well, and, so, and I... Go ahead, Mike. So, so JR, I, I, I feel bad, man, because I, I've listened to your podcast, and, and I know... That, that when you think a podcast is going to go bad, you don't plug your book in the beginning. And and, and when you think it's going to go really good, you plug your book. And, and you, you have not plugged your book yet. Well, it's not worked out for me at all on my own podcast, so why <laughs> try? But, uh, yeah, so I have, uh, well, you better fucking sit down. These are long-ass titles. You better get yourself another beer. I love it. I love it. I'm ready. So I got man. three books. The first one's You Shall Never Know Security, which is only $1.99 right now. It's not my personal favorite, but uh, people like it, seem to like it the most, and it sold the most, and pe- I don't know why that is. The second book, with a voice that is often still confused, but is becoming ever louder and clearer, I guess you could say is like my black metal album, because it's so fucking depressing. <laughs> it's the most depressing by far. I love and, that one. And that then the third one. one, 
I can't remember the type. Uh, Deep Horror that is very nearly all is uh, my most recent one, which I think it's my personal favorite because it's a little bit more varied. And, you know, it's more wistful melancholy than bleak, extraordinary depression like my second one. So, yeah, some people like them, get reviewed some places, get invited to podcasts. I got fucking listen to this shit. I got in top five best books of 2018 by these suckers over at Signal Horizon. <laughs> they are suckers too. They are for real. To be fair, I'm the only sucker here. Uh, <laughs> I liked it. That was all me. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Shit, yeah. Mm. All right. Here's here's the thing that I need explaining. Okay. So. I, I could be making this up, all right? Because I'm like three beers in and it's late on a school night. But I think you submitted the book for review and sent us out a copy. I'm like, great, awesome. The cover of this thing is really weird. Explain to me what's going on with the cover of this book. You know what the most punk rock shit in the world is? It'd be the cover of this book. You walk Fuck into yeah. a museum and you're like, I'm stealing this fucking art, motherfuckers. Out of here. That's what I did, basically. It's so you stole a painting, and uh, you just like snap like a photo in a museum or something, and just. What? Well, I don't want to. I don't want to give away all my traits. Paint either, it. But that is exactly what I did. <laughs> it, I mean, well, it, no, it's a pretty sweet photo. I mean, I cropped that shit until I was like, "Hey, security guard, what's that?" <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure he was gonna tackle you, dude, for taking a picture at a museum. <laughs> right. Hey, right. man, a lot of these photos you're not you're not allowed to take photos in museum. You know? Really? Most I'm fine with, I, but yeah, well, I know I'm trouble. Photos hey, let's protect your mistake. All right, it was yeah. you were with. Yeah. it's you were uh, I I do think I pretty so I don't even remember where the cover for the site. I do work with a very talented um, illustrator who kind of it's not just like I just fucking took a photo and just like you know took glue and just taped it on the book um i gave someone some money and then they taped it on the book or something <laughs> i don't know the secrets behind the trade but we do work with a, a pretty talented illustrator who takes the photograph and you know fucks around with it and we work about it and do the fun stuff but yeah that is just a danish uh artist whose name i don't remember currently but copyright expired motherfucker <laughs> nice i dig it i dig it so, uh, and maybe you want to, maybe you don't, I don't know, whatever. You can just say pass if you don't want to. But we are always really, really interested, especially the three of us, are interested in, you know, folks that publish, uh, you know, stuff themselves. What what gave you that urge? What made you want to do that? Actually, you- so, I mean, it's questionable whether that's what I did on the first book because most of those stories, I mean, most of those stories were published in magazines and podcasts, and the idea of putting a book out actually was brought to me by somebody, and they kind of did the whole thing. Uh, but the third book is self-published. Um, okay. I built up such a fucking international fandom that I don't need. <laughs> uh, what made me do it? I mean, after the first book, uh, it got some reviews on like the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast and some other places, and was I was happy with the results. I also don't like dealing with other people that much. I mean, I have an editor and other stuff like that, but the idea of, like, back in the day, I used to send stories and they'd get eventually published in maybe a magazine or something, but for the most part, they get, obviously get rejected or it takes forever or we write something and then, like, years later it comes out. It's like, I don't have fucking time to deal with that shit. So I had a, enough of a small little fan base that they'll, they'll read the stuff I put out. So just put it out. 
don't know. Just the idea of like the short fiction collections, like even the ones that are coming through more major presses, they don't really. There's not a lot of money in it, and they don't sell that much. I don't know if it's worth going through the whole rigmarole of waiting on someone else's timetable when you can just kind of do it yourself nowadays. Okay, I dig so, it. Yeah. So, do you DIY uh, motherfucker? Do you <laughs> do you write full time uh, for a living, or you know, like we had Oren Gray on here, kind of uh, talking about his process a while ago? Is it something that you write more and more and have transitioned from a day job into this or I used yeah. to, um, I tried to make this my living, but I was pretty used to eating every day. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I don't. I make fucking this beer can is what I make off my living. I, I probably have lost money doing this to be honest, because I give away so many copies to you fucking suckers to get on podcasts <laughs> that my sales go into the fucking beer can. I, yeah, I have, a, I have a day job. Um, okay. I just kind of do this as a I, I am I am a flatter that you even thought for a second that someone could be surviving in New York City off of three short story collections. Hey, we really liked it. All right. Yeah. Um, spread the word. But um, yeah, so I have a day job and I just kind of do it as my hobby. I like meeting people you know you know i've actually met a fair amount of people it seems weird when you look at my book and it says hey if you're not a crazy person feel free to email me i'm like hey you fucking email me and you're in new york i'll meet you crazy person or not still here <laughs> very cool no i think that, that's awesome that you're that yeah. accessible to your to your fans that's cool i mean everyone's disappointed when they meet me you know <laughs> i don't know what they expect but it's all right this is it. So, um, you all sound disappointed. No, no. This is the most action we've had on this podcast since it started. I, so. I should say, I don't know if anyone's ever listened to my podcast, because uh, I have a podcast called The Horror of Notches and Amatoshin. And I have, uh, I feel like an undeserved minor reputation for being contrarian and antagonistic. I don't mean to be like that. I just like, you know, fucking around with people a little bit. I, I like your podcast. I, uh, I don't know. I've been listening since uh, I got uh, the book. So I, I was a particularly big fan of uh, there was an episode you guys reviewed. Oh, man. It was the Christmas anthology movie. Oh, yeah, that was fucking sucks. Oh, it was not great, man. And like all through the house, it's called. Yes. Uh, and they they're like kind of big wigs in the community and it was not wonderful i was i, was, I find I it very strange that a professor could write that movie and direct it <laughs> and then like not just <laughs> resign immediately yeah i i mean I, how do your fucking students come to class and learn from someone who made that fucking rudolph the red-nosed reindeer segment yeah there was one segment that was worth anything, and the rest not so much. But hey, hey, it's better than the movie that I made, which uh, doesn't Wait, exist. You made a movie? So, <laughs> no, I did not. Well, the unmade movie is the perfect movie. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's why people I don't know. make movies. I, I don't know, man. I, I really, I really liked your like three parter about uh, Michelle Hollenbeck and the. Uh, uh, oh yeah, I like that book know, a lot. Yeah, I liked it. You know, and then and speaking then, about and Nazis. <laughs> Whoops! I don't even know what that means, really. So, so, 
so here here I am, right? I drop this shit on on some uh, uh, on on a fucking Facebook group. Somebody's like, oh, you know, I read St. Joshi's blah 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 blah. I'm looking for more about H.P. Lovecraft. I'm like, well, I kind of like this thing by uh, Michelle, you know. Hollenbeck, and you know, here's a podcast about it, and then all of a sudden, oh my god, Michelle Hollenbeck, that's more about Michelle Hollenbeck than it is about Lovecraft. I'm like, yeah, you know what, fuck, fuck you. you know? I mean, they're probably not entirely <laughs> wrong. He does make it about his own, you know, pet peeves and curiosities. But I, pers- I found that collection, or that that essay to. I mean, S.D. Joshi doesn't like the, that essay at all because he, he said he just, just doesn't disagree with its premise about how, you know, basically race was the driving force that animated Lovecraft and his fear of the unknown and all that stuff was just as like racial hatred. Um, but I mean, I actually kind of made it seem a bit more sympathetic to Lovecraft because he was such a consumed with this like fear of the other that it's kind of made me sympathize with him a little bit. Exactly. Not because I also fear the other. But because I just felt bad for how, like, obsessed he was and unable to function. Like, the section of the book which describes his attempts of getting a job are fucking heartbreaking. He would send, like, ten-page letters as cover letters explaining, like, the ethics and philosophy of a man trying to get a job, you know? And I'm sure some guy who worked at, like, a furniture business would be like, what the fuck is this shit? Go away. <laughs> and it's just like, this is this like, old New England gentleman who's used to these, like antiquated ways of going about the world it was just not made for what was then a modern society it's just kind of heartbreaking you know i hear you yeah, yeah. i hear you and you know it's like have have, have you read uh uh joshi's latest book I, no. I, 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 I got a review copy of his latest book is it, it just him screaming at strangers on the street it's it's pretty close it's isn't him, it just, just like here are authors who suck and here are some who are good yes yes <laughs> Yeah. And I have not been able to figure out what I, I – I don't even know if I want to, like, devote my fucking time to even writing about it. I'm like, this is <sighs> – anyways. Yeah, I mean, I read some of the essays that were just posted to his website that went into the book, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I find them hilarious. And I'm actually maybe a little more sympathetic to Joshi. Like, I, even though he's a dick and snarky and a mean, quote-unquote, rude critic – I mean, I don't think any of it comes out of any animus. I think he literally, he really believes these. Like, I don't think he's trying to bully people. I just think he has his expectations for things. And I do think the horror scene is too sensitive in a way. It's like you look at positive reviews you see everywhere, and you see, like, you get a review someone, and you're like, oh, great, five stars, hooray. And then you look, oh, every other book has been five stars on this website for the last <laughs> ten years. So, yeah. Ooh, fucking, it's just too positive. There's no way to separate the quality from the trash. Not, not that I'm the quality or the trash, but... I think just... that's that's a, a, an interesting discussion because uh, Mike and I, when we created the website and started to review stuff, we've kind of had the philosophical discussion that we don't, we don't review shit that we don't, like, that we hate, you know? Yeah. And we're just like, yeah, kind of fun, you know? Though. We reviewed Scott Nicolay's collection. I yeah. Fuck, that book is... I fucking hated that book. Really? Oh, God. Yeah, it was fucking terrible. Although, maybe he's had a different collection. I'm talking about the... um, What's the name of his collection? I'd have to look it up. It's one where, like, every story is written in, like, 1979 and has weird sex with a, like, hot ethnic girl. <laughs> and you didn't like it? 
<laughs> well, I mean, I did just kind of describe it as pretty sweet, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, it just, we get, we are not a big website. We are not a big podcast. We get shit every day. We get more shit than I can ever read. Oh, yeah. I, I, I got a job. I got kids. I'm reading stuff all the time. Like, we get more. So, I, I, I don't understand the value in shitting on something when when really I think what people need, what I as a reader need, is I need somebody to point me to where good shit's at. Don't tell me where the bad shit's at. I, I got plenty of bad shit. Bad That's shit fair. all over. You know? So yeah. I mean, I think the other element here is that reviewing, for the most part, in the 21st century is an unpaid game. I mean, I, I write a lot of reviews. I, you know, for music and... Uh, you know, for books now, it's like, I just do not want to put it in so much effort, especially for a book, to read, like, you know, 300 pages of something I don't like. But yeah. what if you read it and you didn't like it? No, you just never talk about it? No, I'll, no. If I, if I read it and I don't like it, like, I make it through the whole thing. Like, if I actually have something, like, to say about it, and there, there are definitely books like that that I read, but I think... The problem with books is just they're not very immediate. So if it's yeah. like, if I'm looking at a list of shit and there's like, you know, 30 books and they're all like mixed author collections from, with like authors I've never heard of, it's just going to be like, next, next, next. I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to mess with it. Like for music and stuff, it's way easier to like. Yeah, you just listen to it and there you go. Yeah. You know, like, hey. My problem though is. Listens, I- I, I, this, this is kind of incestuous scene a little bit, and where you know the same. I, I, I can't. You can't trust any blurb on any book. By you've, an oh, you've never, friend. you've never been able to trust any blurb on a book, though. You've never been able. To I just feel like it's kind of even worse nowadays with at least the small horror collection because it's like everyone wants their blurb on your on their book, you know. So I. I shy away from all that shit. I, I hope nobody out there in the world is, like, buying books based on blurbs in the first place. Like, I think... Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, say, one... like, say like Laird Barron is a popular name, right? I mean, you know, he gives blurbs out, rightly or wrongly, to many, many books. You know, I'm maybe pretty he... sure there's actually a point. I read three different books, and every one of them had a Laird Barron introduction. Yeah. No shit. Oh yeah, Laird Barron, he's prolific, man. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure. I, right I'm not, an intro. Not casting any aspersions on any of them. Maybe he, he means all of them. I'm sure he does, you know. But just, mm-hmm. there's largely probably pressure within this small little little group to, you know, patty roughly pat each other's feathers, whatever, whatever the fucking term is supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, at, at least with me, and I don't, I don't want to speak for Carson or Mike. We get these book submissions, and my rule is I'll give anything 20 pages, right? So I'll get 20 pages in, and if it's if it's not good, then I just don't read it. You know, there's there's so, so what many. Do you say to, what do you say to them when they you're, like? You're a hey. fucking saint, dude. Uh, you know, whenever hey, Mike, anybody, you're gonna need to buckle in real quick because I'm about to talk about Mike Griffin. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so, so love it. <laughs> Sorry, go Tyler. From a, no, no, you're good. Okay. Go for it. No, okay, so like, we do, or at least I do. I do write negative reviews, like especially for uh, bigger name stuff. Like, 
have you read uh, what the latest Michael Griffin collection? JR? I don't even know who the fuck that is. So really, okay, cool. Um, he's a he's like a newish author. He's got like two collections out. He's. I mean, uh, I googled them, and you're not talking about Michael D. Griffin, American physicist, are you? Because if so, I, I'm storming out of here. <laughs> I believe not. No, he's on the word hoard. Uh, his first collection was The Lure of Devouring Light. Oh, no, I've heard of him, yeah. I, okay. Sorry, I I've heard of The Lure of Devouring Light. I just didn't know the name. Sure, and th- this is kind of like the situation where I would, like, I'm kind of compelled to review something, is that, you know, I liked his first collection uh, pretty good. Like, I'd give it, like, a, you know, a decent 7 out of 10. Like, I definitely had some issues. Nowadays, a 7 out of 10 would be, like, a bad review. But continue. I kind of agree, actually. Like, we we are so, like, set on hyperbole. Like, everything has to be the best, amazing, incredible, the best thing you've ever read. I believe the term is amazeballs. Amazeballs. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Uh, Let me just go ahead and edit that review I wrote of a deep horror real quick. Uh, (laughs) Just just to read amazeballs. Amazeballs. Yeah, (laughs) delivering a product that is weird, unique, and amazeballs. Got it. Um... But no, Mike Griffin, he had a pretty good uh, collection, but I, I had some issues with it, but I was pretty enthusiastic about it, too. Fun fact, he's in Portland, too, which is just, like, right across the river from me. I live in a Portland suburb. So um, his second collection came along, and I was like, I really wanted to see how this dude developed, see if he kind of, like, ironed out the wrinkles in his first collection. And instead, he did the absolute opposite. And it was, like, still a pretty okay-ish collection, but it's like the stuff that was coming up was – it was coming from such a limited perspective. Why what, Why was it so much worse? I don't understand. Like what, what happened? Sure. It's – um. so like his first collection was pretty good, but um, all of his characters, for one, kind of felt like the same person or the same yeah. type of person. They were all very uh, – That like, is a recurring issue in small fiction collections. Actually, uh, what was uh, the Gouljaw dude? The one oh, yeah, Clint, I said no. on the podcast? Yeah. It, yeah. it sounded kind of like when that I was listening to He has the same problem, and he recognized that to his credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I mean, it, 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 a lot of the stories were like white, upper middle class, sad guy who taught and exactly. fucked Native American women. Uh, mine sounds too. like a pretty cool Mine is the Native American. Women. That's all my uh, problem with Scott Nicolay's book. All the characters were the same, but whatever. That's yeah, something exactly. I That's try and work problem. a little bit on. Not that I'm successful exactly at it. Like my first collection, I feel like had a little bit, a little bit too much of the kind of morose, mm-hmm. vaguely masculine but not exactly identified main narrator. Although there are a fair amount of female perspective stories in the first book too. And I think actually, like the best of our kind of horror weird fiction writers are pretty adept at um, using different kind of characters in their stories. And yeah. uh, when someone is not, it's kind of like you're you're getting a, too much of a window into them, and it's like they're not taking the steering wheel on their own art. Like, they're, they're not exerting enough, like, significant control on their own stories. I mean, so in that kind of... Yeah, in my work, as long as you could... I could convey my ceaseless depression... Sure. Uh, it doesn't matter what narrator we're talking about, you know? Yeah, exactly. You could be fucking transgender pygmies in Africa. As long as you get my ceaseless depression, I could write about anything. <laughs> yeah, and, and Griffin didn't really... Was there any falling out from this? Like, did you guys come to blows? 
No, I've never met him. Uh, I have seen him speak at uh, the Lovecraft uh, Festival or whatever. That's a whole other fucking ball of worms right there. Is it really? I've only been once, and I was like, I wasn't writing for anybody like horror related. The Portland one. Uh, I went to uh, the Portland, uh, like the Film Fest one. Yeah. Did you go like what? I went many years ago. I went back in 2011 when my first book came out. Oh, okay. But I've been to the Necronomicon one in Rhode Island, and it's a fucking just humiliating kind of. Nothing makes me want to like dislike the small fiction scene more than seeing these people in the real world trying to converse with others, because they're all like shut in accent. I, I actually just, like, can't <laughs> speak. You know, like it's hilarious, like seeing the weekend of uh, Lovecraft Festival, like on social media, where the, all the authors are like taking pictures with each other and like taking pictures of their drinks and everything. It's a uh, it's kind of absurd. Like some of them just become, it brings out the inner uh, whore in them. I think. Hmm. I can see that. I just find it odd that, like, you know, at these conventions, people don't talk into microphones or are not able to speak or just like really. I mean, I guess it kind of comes with the territory of being a writer. And when like, with no. books, like, there's not enough people there in the first place. Like, it's, yeah, it just really makes me sad to see everyone who's affiliated with the scene at all. I just like there's a lot of like fedoras and dusters, I noticed. Yeah. And that's that was a I was waiting for you to say fedoras and dusters. My favorite thing. I I hope you have your bingo part You should go go to Lovecraft Fest then. There's also a couple of foxtails. it's uh it's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah there is. Alright. Good, like, kind of armpit-like smell. It's, it's nice. <laughs> All right. To be, fair, to be fair, I went there in a denim punk vest, so I'm pretty sure, like... You were the cool... Everyone was like, who's that cool dude? They're like, right. oh, with, that, that guy's so cool. punk rock, yeah. He's Lovecraft punk rock. That's awesome. I should <laughs> ask him if this. I have a question, just to bring it... Nominally back to Green Room. To, uh, <laughs> what do you guys all think about the movie? Did you all like it? <laughs> Yeah, and scene. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, I was glad that you picked the movie, right? Um, I think it's excellent. We talked a little bit a while ago about Blue Ruin, which was the the first movie by um, the director that I yeah. saw. The, the, I actually did not realize that Macon Blair, who was the lead in Blue Ruin, was also the, I guess, more sympathetic Nazi type in Green Room. Oh shit! Like the, the guy who like leaves at the end, who goes on his own way. Oh wow! The same I actor. I think no he, way. He porked up a little bit in the last couple of years, eating that blue ruin money he got. Yeah, uh, yeah. Gained a little bit of weight there, but I didn't realize he was the same guy until I looked it up. And I would say actually, one of the only characters in a movie that I really do legitimately think is like terrifying is that character Worm in Green Room. The guy who's like the guy who kills the girl, the Nazi musician. Um, at the the very beginning. Yeah, when he's like, "That shit was hard," you know. That's that's yeah. strong I did or two. Like that guy is a fucking terrifying human being. Yeah, I I think there are, and that's part of the reason why I I think the movie is so good. We talked about it in previous discussion. Everybody kind of behaves like. I, I think we would, you know, when they're all locked in that room and 
there are some Nazis in there and there are some regular punk rock guys in there and they all kind of behave in this general, uh, <laughs> how are we going to get out of the situation without dying? And, uh, and I, I appreciated that. You know, I think it's interesting. Yeah. There's actually this one line early on. There's actually something about that movie. that's kind of interesting to me is that a lot of things are alluded to that aren't exactly explained and you kind of just have to figure it out very quickly. Like there's an allusion to like a previous murder with the baseball bat in the car. Oh and yeah. All the, the discussions great. between the other people that kind of rapid fire. You don't really know what's going on unless you rewatch it and kind of get all the references. Uh, one thing I kind of find interesting about the main character, um, I don't remember his name, but he's the guy who's the guy who died in real life. Oh yeah. Pat. Yeah. This yeah, is one of his, his last name. movies. Pat yeah. is his name in the movie. Anton um, Yelchin. Yeah, Anton Yelchin. In that, um, he in the, in the beginning on, he's in this like hardcore punk band that seems to go abide by this rule of ethics that they talk about, and there are you know no social media presence. Then he kind of like casts shade at that guy interviewing him because he's like, oh, why is this guy true? Because he wakes up early on and puts jizz in his hair because he got that mohawk. I kind of thought that was interesting. There's like a tension that's really unexplored here, whereas this guy himself is in kind of like a holier than thou punk band, but he kind of resents or pushes against the whole like outward punk aesthetic of like mohawks and all that other shit. It's like a little detail that's not explored at all, but I think it's kind of interesting. Just like an, an aside. Well, I, at least to me, that always speaks to how gatekeepers of, you know, groups or genres or whatever are always pushing back at, you know, like who's real and who's not. And that, you know, that seems like one of those rules of, uh, you know, the, the gatekeeper is to create those boundaries when they're maybe aren't necessarily. I don't, I don't know. I, what I liked about his performance, at least like he goes from this kind of cynical kind of, you know, this, this very judgy, uh, character style to like he's almost goofy at the end you know (laughs) like he's uh kind of making jokes and he's kind of and i think it reflects at least i don't know uh, at least how i would i would imagine i don't know like how if you were caught in this situation and your hand essentially got hacked off right because it did uh he's just like in this situation reacting to it and he's a little bit in shock and he's a little bit you know like He's he's just there, completely devoid of like ego, and yeah. so I, I think that's that's a really interesting choice. That I don't had. like the last line of the f- the film though. I don't know like, if I remember what it is. Where he's just like the whole there's kind of been like a whole running joke of sorts throughout the movie where mm. he won't mention his Desert Island band, I guess because he's too embarrassed to say what it might be. Like the band he would listen to if he was stuck on a desert island with the one album right. he would bring. And at the very end, he's like, or right about to tell Imogene Poots. And she's like, fuck if I care. And then it ends. And it's kind of like a wet fart of a, an ending. Kind of like. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that whole thread. Like, I kind of. I kind of appreciated it because, like, you know. It doesn't have that. It's like the movie's been so bleak leading up to this point mm-hmm. that. I feel like that's the type of ending that you'd say that line and then they'd be like, oh, 
like, guitar riff, and then, like, a <laughs> jaunty song would come on the credits. It's like, that's not the same See, movie. what bothered me was, like, half the group, like, went back on their punk roots when they finally decided. Yeah. Like, they made their real album. Like, come you on, know man. what it's saying, Carson? It's saying you, uh, you punks are fucking frauds is what it's saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that kind of pissed me off because it's like it kind of it kind of feeds into that. Uh, I think that one myth, of the kids still that idea says that anybody so. who likes like abrasive music just pretends to like it. And, you know, like, hey, you, you've heard Iron Sheik. Iron Sheik is not like abrasive. Like, yeah, I think they're, yeah, they're good. If, if somebody said they liked Iron Sheik or something like that. You wouldn't question it if it was like their Desert Island band. You'd be like, oh yeah, sure, whatever. But like the movie, yeah, you're like what? Christina Aguilera's not available. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's like ridiculous. Like half these dudes, like what? What is this movie's actual view on punk rock? Kind of, it kind of made me wonder. Like, what was the movie trying to say about it? Are like these dudes like all posers in the eyes of the filmmaker? Like, one of the kids did say misfits though. That is true. He did uh, stick. Talking about, we talked earlier a little bit about horror mm-hmm. punk and, 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 and tandem with normal punk. Uh, one question I always had when I was younger and like casually interested in punk, I'm like I was interested in punk music, but I wouldn't call myself a punk in any way because it's like humiliating and embarrassing, and I don't like. You that know, shit. I actually no I went through that whole thing. Uh, also, like I think I even wrote like a shitty editorial on it about like whether I was a punk or not, whether I just liked punk. These, these are the sort of identity crises you go Here, through. Like, I'll answer your question for you. If you're over the age of 15 and you call yourself punk, you should kill yourself. <laughs> um, All right. Talking right about back. punk music. Uh, <laughs> that when I was young, I'd always be like, I was like into the Dead Kennedys and some other people would be in the Dead Kennedys and Chris and all these like bad religion and all this other shit. And then the Misfits, like some people were really into the Misfits and all these other bands. And I would always ask like, what is the common thread? Like, so there's this political punk you're really into, and you're like all in this very far left beliefs, whatever. It's great, whatever you want. But why the Misfits too? I don't understand how that how that jibes with the other music you like, because they're like a car- goofy, cartoony, you know, fucking aliens from Mars and we don't care, goofy band. And then you're listening to this like dogmatic left wing punk music. Like, what's the thread that connects them like fast drums like i didn't understand it yeah like, i think it's i like, like the a misfits. time and place thing you know yeah but, i always uh, like the misfits because i'm like well it's catchy and i like you know sure. i don't think too hard about it but yeah, other I people mean, would be like yeah like super they like they were really into it they'd be like all of a sudden they'd be like talking about fucking noam chomsky and shit and i'd be like <laughs> you know yeah, what the that'd fuck be weird. i don't know i mean hey i think I think it's kind of – you actually hit on something I think I see a lot in the actual, like, punk scene these days is, like, horror punk. It's almost in its own kind of, like, subgenre ghetto, like, separate from punk rock. Like, I don't yeah. really see, like – like, if I go see, like, a lineup of bands, like, local bands, like, there won't be, like, a horror punk band mixed in. Like, horror punk kind of exists in its own, like, thing, kind of yeah. like, like uh, hardcore, like – but not like the hardcore in the movie, like – like gym short hardcore where people are like windmilling and around like i don't i don't see that kind of holy shit i've got no idea what's going on <laughs> do, you know, do you know what i'm talking about jr people like, people in yeah, gym, you know like 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like terror. Really, you swing your arms thing. around and uh. Yeah, it's like really broy hardcore. Like you got to be like super macho, and you're usually like wearing a tank top and gym shorts, oh. and you're like swinging your arms, and it's more like like beating the shit out of people. But when you it, said it, windmill. Did you think they're like bringing windmills to shows? <laughs> It's like it's like Mike, fucking traveling Dutch Mike's band. Jr. This is a literary podcast. It's a Don Quixote yeah. reference. There you uh, go. Don Quixote reference. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Uh, Come on. But no, yeah, like it kind of exists separately. Well, I guess part of that might be because there's like supposedly a working class pride that's supposed to go along with that type of music, but whereas horror punks is kind of like dandiest, decadent, mm-hmm. aesthetic based. You know, I heard, I don't know if this is, you live in Ecuador, so maybe you might know a little bit more, but I heard in South America that, South and Central America, punk is seen as, like, the music of the upper-middle-class brats, and the real, like, lower-class street kids are into, like, heavy metal music. Which I think there might be actually something to that, and that, especially, I think, in America, in the West, there is, like, punk is, I mean, of course, there's, like, the oi band punk that's, like, you know, supposedly working-class shit, but when I think of punk music, I think of, like, middle, upper-middle-class bratty sad kids now, you know? Like, uh, the Wonder so, Years, or whatever those yuppie mm-hmm. bands are, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, so so many, many years ago, I taught uh, high school in uh, South Texas, and uh, definitely uh, that's the kind of overriding cultural norms down there which is that the uh the the the, the yeah the uh kind of the 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 working class is this uh and they had all it was like texas hardcore and there were all of these it sounded it i listened to the music it sounded like um uh, guys like instead of instead of breathing out as they sung breathing in as they sung it was very odd but uh <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It was. It was. That, that's just what the kids were into at at, at that point. Um, but yeah, and and I've never I've never quite understood. Um, and maybe maybe Carson, you can you can shed some light on this. I think that there is there is a um, I totally forgot what I was what I was going to say. Oh no. I think I think that there's some some cultural appropriation coming from uh, at least the. I don't know, the, like the Nazis, like didn't didn't skinheads start as a kind of punk mod type culture in? Yeah, in skinheads actually like they predate punk, and they were basically kids who liked to be bald and liked reggae music, and it was kind of this uh, working class thing, and then it kind of got uh, absorbed, and maybe there was a little bit of an exchange of ideas with punk rock, and then like kind of the big. Uh, skinhead band that everyone knows is Screwdriver. They were like one of the... Fuck yeah. Oh, there we go. <laughs> so, no, they're so like sounds super cool. Nazis. I like it. Yes. I remember a big friend of mine was into Screwdriver, and I'd be like, you know, they hate Jews and stuff, right? And be like, well, you know, it's only, <laughs> oh. you know, you know I'm like, come on. I mean, I don't really care. Like, I had a friend in high school who was Nazi sympathetic, I would say. He'd always like doodle swastikas. I'm like, you not do that shit? You know, I'm pretty tall. I don't really care. You know, it's like it doesn't really bother me, even though I'm Jewish. But yeah, I had some friends who were into screwdriver. They'd be like, "Well, I don't like it for that reason." And I'm like, "Well, it's kind of like the big, 
That's like <laughs> yeah, the way to explain like the band. The Nazi band. Yeah. So let me yeah. let me kind of like liking a triumph of the will for the uh, aesthetic. You know, <laughs> oh, right, right. The dolly <laughs> just, shot. Like, it's like, so, I, oh, like, yeah. You know, there's there, there's people, great like, people on both sides. People who know. are like cool that like screwdriver. I get well cool like you know. Yeah. <laughs> they the, the cool thing for a while was to say like. Oh yeah, yeah. I like uh, I like Screwdriver just because they're you know they had a really good vocalist, and that was kind of like your very cultured way of accepting Screwdriver into the punk scene. But you were obviously you know you're not going to go down to that level to accept their Nazism. Just you would just enjoy the vocals. For a while, I heard a lot of people saying that. I mean, you you, you cast aspersions on that, but then you listen to those vocals and you're like, God damn, there's something it to it. Huh. The vocals on this that Nazi were badass. <laughs> so, uh, let me interject yeah. real quick. Uh, on our show notes, we have there is a really fantastic article um, from The Guardian that discusses like the infiltration of Nazi punks into other punk venues. And they have some, like, uh, musicians that are kind of talking about how there were particular clubs that became uh, like, I don't know, Nazi punk clubs. So there was this big push from the Dead Kennedys and kind of other folks in that uh, arena to kick Nazi punk rock out of those clubs. So that's one of the things. Is this I had. a recent article? Yeah. It, um, well, yeah, it's probably on. like a recent article about like the yeah, 80s. Because the Dead oh, Kennedys, yeah. don't they oh, have, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that guy from Malcolm in the Middle as their lead singer nowadays or something? Oh, yeah, this article. Serious? No, I'm being a little bit facetious, but the Dead Kennedys, they do have that, like, celebrity guy as their lead singer now, right? Oh. Are they still? No. I, I don't know. I don't follow the Dead like, Kennedys. Like, Jello Biafra I mean, is no longer affiliated with them at all. So they have these, correct. like, Jello's with, uh, the Guantanamo Bay of Medicine these days. Not as good a name as Dead Kennedys, but still pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I don't know. I I I really, I don't. Know. I think I think I think it's interesting how the how the how the Nazis are portrayed in this particular movie because if you look in the green room, green room there's very little like these Nazis expose very little. Well, of I mean, why bother to waste your right? breath when you're trying to kill the person, right? While you're no. trying to stab the guy, you're like, white power. I think they're actually you know, presented, like, fairly, yeah, like, no. even-handedly. So, here's here's the thing about the about the, the Nazi subculture, though, that is that is very, very interesting, is that, so, so, so first off, they're shown as, obviously, all their money comes from drugs, yeah. right? Ba- d- d- down in the basement, they got a bunch yeah. of drugs and money. Okay, and then how does Patrick Stewart get like rid of the guys that he doesn't like, like want around, but like saw some shit drugs. Right. So it's like it's like these guys are like like there's a there's a cognitive dissonance going on because you would not expect like, you know, the these kind of. People who are this pure white power living to be poisoning themselves with this type of stuff, right? I mean, that's yeah, a line exactly. he makes. Exactly. To. He right. says, "Got to watch out for that N-word dope." 
Yeah. Carson, yeah. can you fill in the word for me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all the school teachers, Tyler, can you fill in the word for me? <laughs> yeah. Hard <laughs> pass. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of do wonder if that's – I don't know if that's just Patrick Stewart's character kind of profiteering off of it. I, I don't know if the rest of the Nazi crew are in, affiliated with any of that drug stuff. Um, well, I kind of wonder, you know, they keep calling them Nazis. Like You see the Confederate flag in the green room, and I guess there's some other white power stuff, but I wonder, are they like, like, I think there's a little bit of a difference between someone who's a white supremacist and like a Nazi, isn't there? Yeah, per- particularly in America. Oh, yeah, mo- yeah, I mean, yeah. Mo- mo- yeah, mo- most definitely. I mean, you've got you've got a whole, like, Christian identity movement from the 80s that was, like, way, like, you know, you have a family and you have and it's it's very pure and you're doing this for the race and kind of all this other shit. And really, I mean, what what I think is is getting um, shown in this movie is like the Aryan nation, mm-hmm. right? The Aryan nation came out of it, it, it came out of um, prisons. Right. So, of course, there's going to be later, you know, drug dealing and kind of all this other stuff. Um, I don't know. It's uh, it's it. The uh, the extreme right in the United States is definitely an in- interesting kind of thing to look at. The uh... I was gonna say I there there's a cult of personality right that surrounds all of the younger you know neo Nazis or whatever we want to call them. It it almost feels cultish, right? It's it's sure they're true believers, right? In fact, they use that term in the movie a couple of times. I think it's like I need a couple of true believers or whatever. But they that's like, actually a punk song too. That's not Nazi related at all. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, really? by the Bouncing hmm. Souls, True Believers. It's a it's oh, a pretty yeah. popular song. From the Tony Hawk soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, probably. I never played those games though. Another <laughs> popular song is called "Kill These Dudes and Get Your Red Stripes." <laughs> yeah, your that's actually oh, a toe I, so What is that a reference the voice to? Is do you so think? good on that though. The red. What is the reference to the red laces? It's when you it's blood. You kill. You kill someone for the cause. Yeah. You get your red laces. Yeah. 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 So, but like, they seem way more enamored with Patrick Stewart than they do with the particular ideology. You well, know? it's hard like, because they don't really talk. I mean, I guess in the scene, the scenario they're in, they're not going to be like, "Hey, let's talk about the merits of." That's true. That's killing. True. Yeah, I can <laughs> socialism. Yeah, like exactly. the lack of or just more subtle exposition when it came to like the skinheads and stuff. Yeah, like we even like the red laces thing, and they they kind of make a lot of like in scene references to like yeah. boots and braces, red laces, that kind of stuff. I mean, I think but you get it when they're like exactly. red laces only. It's like people who will spill blood for the movement. Yeah, like, or when he gives the guy his red laces. And it makes the movie like a lot leaner too, instead of having yeah. to go through like all True. of this bullshit, you know. They they assume a lot about the audience, you know, like they're gonna hop on board real quick and and stay up, you know. So yeah, I think that's. Pretty I mean, cool. that's why that guy leaves. He gets his red laces, and he's like, I don't need. I have nothing more to do here. I got my <laughs> red laces. I'll bounce out of here, right in the sunset. Really quick, who would you like more, Green Room or Blue Ruin? And how disappointed was everybody with? Whatever his last movie was. I haven't seen this last movie. I'm, what's it called? I'm sad in the Arctic or whatever the fuck it's called. It's like, I've only uh, seen Green Room. I can't. Uh, okay. I have it's not good. His most recent movie was extremely disappointing because I really like Green Room a lot. 
Yeah. Hi, um, Mike. I got to say, just so you know, this is my first time on the podcast, too. Really? <laughs> yeah. It is. <laughs> well, you're welcome, asshole. <laughs> you guys have <laughs> reinvented the format, and I'm sure everyone will like this much, much better. So it'll be great. Because no, yeah, nobody likes yeah. our shit. Yeah, so. the, the 27 people that listen to the normal episode, I think it's going to double. It's, it's called Hold the Dark, by the way, is that the is, new movie. What's it called? Hold the Dark is uh, Jeremy Saulnier's most recent film, and it is not good. It's not a horror movie. I don't know what you'd call it exactly. It's like boring noir. It's like, okay. say, I mean, honestly, it's like. <laughs> that's, it really that's a whole genre into it. It's of kind itself. of like. Boring noir. There's some, there's some kind of allusions to like the world being a depressive, bleak, melancholic state, but then all the characters kind of also act that way, so it's just really boring. That's a. Uh, I, I mean, I that's mean, the reason why I think uh, Green Room's better than Blue Ruin. Blue Ruin's a fucking downer, dude. Like, uh, it's it's. Know, when that kid in this movie's throat got ripped out by that dog, I was yeah. howling and howling. Yeah, that's that's probably true. Uh, <laughs> I, I found the gurgling funny. I don't know about you. I don't know. What's wrong with you? Did you ever see Murder Party? It's actually pretty funny. It's his first movie. Mm-mm. Oh, it's funny. It's his first, It's before he made Blue Ruin. Like, I think almost eight years before that. Yeah, Blue Ruin came out in 2013, and Murder Party came out in 2017. That was his first feature-length film. And it's actually a comedy, and it's actually legitimately pretty funny. Okay. And it's Check it out. Murder Party. Yeah, it's on, I think it's on Netflix now. Oh, cool. Yeah, check it out. Very good. Hey, uh, JR, at the the end of every episode, we like to pull one anonymous Amazon user who has reviewed the movie negatively and uh, (laughs) make fun of... And just fucking make fun of... We've got one down here. It is kind of... uh, the, the unspoken rule that our special guest will read our anonymous Amazon user. Okay, I guess I have to go to Amazon and find this person, right? Or you can pull open the script. I don't know. I'm just insulted you're saying JR is more special than me. Hey, Carson, you can do it. You guys can split it if you want to. It's no, no, no. No, 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 no. Let JR do it. Man, you got to lower expectations for this shit, Mike. Hey, no one talked about folk punk songs. Hey, yeah. I can. Yeah, we we have all kinds of fucking shit to talk about, but y'all <laughs> y'all had all kinds of conversations. No one talked about Nazi punks fuck off. But it's probably I wonder if that's the biggest venue that the Dead Kennedys have gotten anywhere, really, because this was I mean, this movie actually I was, I was disappointed to learn that this movie didn't do well. Yeah, like, it actually it had a five million dollar budget and only made three point two million dollars, but it's still a large venue. Like I, I imagine many thousands. I, I don't really know the pull of a movie like this, but hundreds of thousands of people have probably seen this movie, if not more. And the Dead Kennedys are featured prominently early on in the film. They're wearing a Dead Kennedy shirt. They actually don't quote the song Nazi Punks Fuck Off as being from the Dead Kennedys. But you can figure it out. It's kind of like a big big poll for them. That's cool. That's all. <laughs> Go about your business. 
they I thought that it. was a pretty cool scene. I mean, it's kind of a... They probably get mauled to death fantasy. right at that moment <laughs> by this angry crowd of skinheads. Like, I don't think right after they sang Nazi punks fuck off, all the other Nazi skinheads would start moshing to their next slow, boring song. That seems a bit unrealistic. See, I- I, I think it was actually okay the way they portrayed it, because I feel like, you know, hey, if I was a Nazi, like, living day in, day out the Nazi punk lifestyle, like, I've probably already, like, heard Nazi punks fuck off a million times. I've had every single punk at a show tell me Nazi punks fuck off. Oh, it would probably point. just, probably, I'd I'd probably get just it. be, like, something you shrug and be like, okay, I, I get it. You know, thinking about it. You know how it's weird how the cousin referred them down to this bar? It's also probably weird for the booker to be like, hey, random band, uh, yeah, sure, why not get on our bill of Nazis? You think yeah, they probably have, like, a real screening process to get on the bill. Sure, they don't want, like, like, if strangers. you listen to the band that plays, like, after them, like, it doesn't even seem like the same genre. The other band is, like, way more, like, metal-y and stuff. And so it's like, why is this band playing here? Yeah, kind of, isn't the screening process like, hey, what do you think about Hitler? And they're like, not bad. And they're like, all right. <laughs> they didn't do that with these guys. Right, they just assumed. But yeah. of course, they had no social media, so how would they know? That's cool. Next week, you're doing The Night Eats the World, eh? I, I want to see that movie. <laughs> Fight me back on. <laughs> so, do you want me to read the uh, the anonymous user review? Yeah. yeah. I'm so tired and sick of these evil, godless, vile movies. We live in a free country, yes, but this world is quickly becoming poisoned by entertainment that is desensitizing people to be violent and murderous, exclamation mark. If you watch something like this, then you are saying that you agree with it. I don't really know if that's how movies work, but I cannot watch more than the first few minutes before I had to turn it off. Well, God damn, if they only watched the first few minutes, good thing they were siphoning gas. Yeah. Maybe this person works for fucking mobile. I can't watch this shit. How about a movie involving a safe and hopeful place or subject instead of all of this murder, sex, and killing? I don't think there's actually any sex. There's no sex in this movie. We have ISIS and MK Ultra Manchurian (laughs) candidates killing us in the real world already. Why do we need to watch more of it on TV? I'm done with this type of subject matter and Amazon slash Netflix practically in totality. Movie producers make something decent for a change or continue to get poor ratings from me. And this is just, <laughs> this is just a review of this movie. This is like a manifesto. <laughs> poor Green Room bore the brunt of this person's outrage. Yeah. I mean, she was so, she was so angry she combined Amazon else and Netflix. Your mailboxes. Yeah, I feel like this person's like, I need more Grand Torino. <laughs> or, I don't know, something. <laughs> I mean, once you hear Clint Eastwood serenading you at the end of that movie, there's really nowhere else to go. Yeah. Except the rewatch. That's it. I mean, basically, when I'm reading an internet comment and I run across the words MK Ultra, I just stop reading. <laughs> because I've learned my lesson at this point. Do you think this is a legitimate comment? Like, do you think they're trolling? No, I think I think that, so. The weird the weird thing about this movie on Amazon, all right? And I've talked to the other two about this already. There are I, I like eighteen pages of one star reviews, and they all have different names, 
and they all have essentially the same comment, just reworded slightly different. So it's like somebody purposely has tried to tank this movie on Amazon. It's very strange. So this one is is much longer than most of most of them are just like, I don't know, yeah, a sentence, three words, that kind of shit. Um, yeah. I don't know. I th- this movie got released on Amazon Prime, which kind of opens it up to anybody. It's also on Netflix. And leaving a legitimate Amazon comment. Yeah, that's where I watched it. Rewatched yeah, it's also it. on Netflix. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Amazon Prime is more of a right thing. <laughs> yeah. Somebody got the hiccups. My one beer was enough for me. <laughs> I feel like Amazon Prime Damn. is more of an open the floodgates than a Netflix. Because you could have really put anything on Amazon Prime. Like, they have almost no screening process. Like, you could literally just upload anything to Amazon Prime. So I feel like there are more, maybe Amazon Prime has a broader range of anyone could watch anything kind of thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, it's it's like One Cut of the Dead last week, right? Somebody uploaded the yeah. bootleg copy. And that yeah. fucked the whole release up. Yeah, man. I'm gonna I'm going to see it next week Holy at Panic shit. Fest. But, yeah, like... They had a distribution deal here in the states, and it was up and it's up in the air now. And it's like kind of yeah. fucked up because how many people watched the movie in that one three hours it was online or whatever? Well, all of the big like horror websites were like, "Go watch this movie yeah. now!" and blah, and, and were kind of complicit in all of that shit. And yeah, that was me. I was like, "Oh shit, I heard about this movie," and then yeah. like, where the fuck did it go? Yep. I'm like, all right, green room for time number five. We got a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> gonna go be on these assholes podcast. I guess I'll watch this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to keep you all. I don't know how long you guys are planning on going. No, uh, this is probably a good time though to uh, get plugs one last time. So uh, let's start with Carson. Carson, where can they find more of your stuff? You can find me on Signal Horizon, uh, reviewing books and Dying Scene, reviewing music. Very good, very good, Jr. Uh, I, uh, my last book is called A Deep Heart That Was Very Nearly All. came out September 2018. It, uh, was named one of the top five books by Signal Horizon, <laughs> this very <laughs> podcast. Fuck yeah. I've, I've heard yeah, good yeah, things they, about those They guys. know their shit, man. I, I mean, I'd say one them. out of the three yeah. of them know a little bit of something. <laughs> you it guys, there we go. There we yeah. go. That's true. That's true. Well, very good. Uh, Carson, who is the hottest young boy band with guitars and drums we should know about on Dying Scene? Oh, geez. I don't even know. Uh, I think Pears is pretty big right now, if you want a younger punk band. Is that a real Pears? Like the yeah. Group? Yeah, dude. You've heard of Pears, right? Find them in the produce section? Yeah. I mean, what, what publicity? <laughs> I'm already thinking about them every time I go to the grocery store. No, if if you actually seriously like like some of the '90s skate punk stuff, you oh, probably yeah. like Bears. They're they're kind of uh, they they reinvented a little bit. I, I kind of consider them like postmodern skate punk because everything about them seems like really considered about like all their musical choices. But they like bring in a ton of different genres, and they're really spastic, but also like super catchy and hard and fun. You might like them. Oh, well, I'll check that out. I found it funny postmodern skate punk. I know, uh, I like, just said that, right? Sounds like conceptual. I'm, I'm like, it's like, just it's like, imagine skate punk without the board. Yeah. You're like. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's if it's 
post skate punk, wouldn't it be just the board without the skates, right? Yeah. It would just be two guys standing on a board. Do you think, right. How old do you think skates refer to fucking roller skates, dude? No, versus skate punk. Skateboard. <laughs> oh, shit. Good All time. right, folks. It has been a blast. Check out next week. Who knows what's going to come up next week. Uh, we're, we'll be talking about The Night Eats the World and the Science of Being Social. Until then, class dismissed. Class dismissed.